0: Howdy there. I'm Matt McKinley with the Burning Daylight Podcast. If you ever wanted to make a podcast, well, Spotify's got a platform that, makes, that lets you make one super easily. And then you can distribute it everywhere and even earn money. All in one place, for free. It's called Spotify for, for Podcasters, and here's how it works
1: Welcome to the Black Hereford Chronicles with Jen Hill. Here we discuss all things Black Hereford. Join me for in depth conversations and insightful interviews relevant to your Black Hereford operation. on a data kick for a while now. I can't help it. I love data. I spend time sifting through analytics for just about anything I can get my hands on. It's a weird nerdy fascination for me. But in business it really matters. In business they say you cannot manage what you cannot measure, and that's true. In order to make the best business decisions, we have to know what we're really looking at. The same can be said for breeding choices in our cattle. Data matters. There's a lot of data we can collect about our animals to help inform our choices, and I've talked a fair bit on this podcast about the importance of turning in weights and the basics, but what about digging deeper? We've been getting carcass ultrasounds done on our registered yearlings for a few years now, and it's really provided useful information for both breeding and marketing, and it benefits the association. The ABHA age window for submitting ultrasound data is 300 to 500 days old. And we really try to nail getting it done right at a year since that's when they get adjusted to anyway. It's helped us pinpoint where we're good and where we need to grow and make better breeding choices with our eyes wide open. Carcass ultrasound is such a powerful tool. I figured let's talk about it on here. Clint Schultz is a cup lab technician ABHA member, a good friend, and an all-around awesome guy who let me talk him into coming on and sharing some of his vast knowledge about carcass ultrasounds and their values to seed stock and beef producers. I am here today with a good friend and an excellent cattleman, Clint Schultz who's also an ABHA member, and he is involved in some really interesting data gathering. A lot of you guys that have been listening know that I talk about the importance of data a lot, and we've talked about weights and turning in all of that birthing data and weaning data, but there's more that we can be doing, and that would be collecting carcass data. And Clint is really excellent at both promoting that and explaining why that matters. So I thought, what a great opportunity to have him come on and talk about ultrasounding and call carcass ultrasounds and what they can do for us as producers. So Clint, why don't you take a minute to kind of talk about yourself and your background in the industry and what it is that you do? Okay,
2: um, Thank you. Thank you for inviting me to uh, join you in this discussion and uh, been looking forward to it for a couple of weeks. Um, I, uh, <clears throat> personal background. I graduated from the university of Wyoming in uh, 1992 with a bachelor's in animal science,
1: but don't hold that against him.
2: Yeah, I know. <laughs> you bet. But, uh, uh, that is where I was uh, trained in, um, Carcass evaluation, uh, Dr. Mel Riley and Ray Field were my um, instructors. And um, I did uh, earn a spot on the meat judging team and the live animal meat animal evaluation team that Dr. Riley coached. And we were very successful, nationally recognized um, at the, the uh contest which is no longer held on the collegiate level and then the twin falls contest so i really enjoyed uh that as a uh, college age student um and uh oh i was a caucus judge for county fairs sweetwater county carbon county and uh when i moved back to meeker where i was raised um, from about 1996 until about the mid 2000s, I graded carcasses for county fairs and exhibitions in whatever coolers and, and meat processing facilities we could track down in South Central Wyoming and Western Colorado. And so I kept that up. Um, spent every Friday of my life uh, for three semesters at the University of Wyoming at what is now JBS was then Montfort in Greeley learning to grade yield and quality grade carcasses. And, uh, so I really, um, was trained kind of early. Um, and then, uh, one of my, as we were, the kids got to start showing cattle in 4-H, somebody suggested to me, um, uh, in fact, it was Lazy JB Angus, uh, Jeff Creamer said, uh, hey, you ought to look into this certified ultrasound designation that Iowa State is promoting. And I said, okay. So when I looked into it, I, uh, I first got the opportunity to uh, study under Dr. John, or he wasn't a doctor, I'm sorry, uh, John Breathour, who was uh, a meat animal scientist at University, Kansas State University in Hayes, Kansas, and I got to go spend a week with John where he showed me um, the very, he was my very first experience with ultrasound and his uh, model was uh, picked up by many, many feed yards around the Midwest and cattle feeding area, where it was a prediction model that uh, told the producer or the feedlot owners it was designed to tell them how many days away their cattle were from choice. And the other uh, uh, goal was to avoid yield grade four, which you you know, if, if people understand their yield grades and quality grades in the meat industry, yield grade four we considered to be a penalty because it was excessive uh, fat um, on outside of the carcass and internal fat, uh, kidney pelvic and heart fat, and uh, visceral fat that is usually accompanies um, just general obesity. <laughs> so, for uh, was to, to be avoided, that's where you would get penalized. And that was the first model. And then I was, um, went on to the cup lab in Ames, Iowa, and trained there for the seed stock application. Um, and I became a UGC certified ultrasound technician. In 2005. And just have been, and I've passed certification eight more times. Uh, The majority of what I scan, well, here lately, it's been 50 50. Uh, Seed stock will go to the Cup Lab, which goes to the breed associations. And then I've been involved in some feedlot research that was uh, backed by ABS and Zoetis in a quarantine feed yard in McClave, Colorado. Uh, with Zia Ag in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico. And that's where we did uh, the feedlot application, where uh, usually about 2,100 head was a sample of 15,000 in that yard. And then I have 28 ranch seed stock producers uh, over the years that are my consistent um, seed stock customers uh, since 2006.
1: Well, I think what you do is so neat. When I was in college, I didn't spend a lot of time in the meat sciences part of production. And I regret that now. When we started doing some direct-to-consumer sales was when I really started learning a lot about more of the beef end and the final customer end of our product. And it's really interesting. And I really kick myself that when I had the opportunity in school to learn more about that i did not so i just i think what you do is super fascinating
2: oh it is i enjoy it it's fun to get on the road and i uh, i'm not afraid to drive anywhere and i just enjoy uh you know it was fun to kind of quote john breathour he just always wanted to be a cattle scientist i was is kind of interesting with that gentleman he uh, unfortunately passed away uh, from melanoma But I tell you what, he had to have been one of the toughest individuals uh, I had ever run into because he had been diagnosed with that in 2005 when he was training me. And, I mean, we were in Hayes, Kansas in mid-June. We were out there in 102-degree heat at that research feed yard, and he, you know, you didn't even know he was ill. Uh, He would drive himself to Minnesota, and it was fun to really be able to learn from him and just the basics of of what we were looking at and how to prepare the cattle properly. Um, It's funny when you're in the show world, you always want their head up. And in ultrasound, you'd prefer to have their head down. (laughs) Hydraulics have uh, made that sometimes a little bit difficult. (laughs) And just the little odds and ends and tricks that somebody like him, I don't know how many... Cattle he'd actually scanned before he uh, left us, but uh, I do know it was an interesting story. He won a hundred and fifty thousand dollar cash prize to the Kansas State University, and he uh, beat uh, several renowned feedlot people in a carcass contest in the mid nineteen nineties. And uh, he loved telling that story. And uh, it was, and he started with a hundred head, and he scanned them and fed them and and. Uh, uh, Adjusted the uh, ration, and he did it all, and uh, and then ended up winning that contest years ago. I wish I had more information on that, but it's been fun to go down the road and meet people, Uh, and also it's been an honor to be on the. uh, I I guess uh, I was one of the first ultrasound technicians that helped the American Black Hereford Association gather enough data to start their EPDs on the carcass side of their, uh, of their uh, registered stock. So I'm, I'm, I'm very proud of that. And with uh, Brock Johansson and Jen and Logan Hill, um, you know, we contributed, they needed a thousand specimens. And uh, I think it took four years, four or five. You know better than me, but uh, you know, it was fun to be in, um, in on that.
1: So then focusing on the seed stock end, obviously, of carcass ultrasounding, why do seed stock producers need to do it? What is the purpose?
2: Uh, Well, first of all, I've kind of learned um, their customers need to care and have, uh, uh, I guess, their bottom line Needs to have uh, some carcass consequences, if you will, or uh, I don't know how to phrase that. It needs to be something that's important to the producers that I go to because it's important to their clientele, if that makes any any rational sense. Because uh, sometimes where you and Logan just moved from and where I am still, this is country that typically Hunting season um, dictates when they get their cattle out of, off the property and off the grazing permits. If you have federal land, um, even the feds and the BLM and the Forest Service uh, profit from the hunters. And uh, so many, many people in this area were taught that just get them gone, get them weaned, and uh, let the next guy deal with the carcass end of it and feeding of it and that kind of thing is Long as you got your check by Christmas, and and sometimes that's still the mentality. There are some people that uh, think it's important, they're, they're, but they're not as prevalent as they are in the cattle feeding country where you have moved to, um, where where feedlot uh, performance and success are much are in producers minds more often than they are here so that's first and foremost or you have to be like the american black herford association um at needing to get the data collected to get going the bronvies their association was on that edge that was an excellent carcass uh a, a breed of cattle it was the beef side of Brown's list, and unfortunately they had some um um uh, you know whatever happened with uh, them as a breed association and things like that, I guess it was just an unfortunate um, you know, they didn't collect the proper EPD data or there was some misrepresentation and they failed, but I had a close friend that won two trailers at the Wyoming State Fair feeding cross cattle. Uh, Kill 10 and 7 of them would be low prime you know, at, at 20 months of age. And so but um, it has to be important to your the people that buy seed
1: stock from you. Well, I really believe that one of the keys to being a successful seed stock person is to have consistent and repeat customers to develop those relationships that they will come back to you year after year after year. And even though you may not think of yourself as in the beef business, which I think is silly, we are all in the beef <laughs> business. But even if you've decided you are in the bull business or the cow business, you are not in the beef business, your customer is. And if you want them to return to you every year, you have to be providing what they need to sell to their customer as well. And that is beef.
2: Um, yeah, one way or another, we are in the red meat protein business. And Paul Red, one of the things that he talks about on his sale posters out there at Red Ranches in Paradox, Colorado, was the most important thing at the beginning for a cow-calf man is a live calf. Well, and the most important thing for everybody, whether they're a consumer, producer, feed yard man, is a viable, nutritious, well carcass and in america we are very um blessed and that we can get picky because in europe and scotland and england we found out they truly don't care about choice or tenderness they just and i'll tell you what the muscle is the biggest factor over there and all they feed is grass in most cases on the british island and uh you know it's not a thing for them, and uh, and you can tell the difference if you go have a steak in London, you'll pay plenty of money, but um, it will not taste as good as it does here at home. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, when you ultrasound for carcass, you're getting ribeye area, yield grade. What else are you getting?
2: We uh, obviously, ribeye area is the easiest one to remember. Uh, one of the ones, unless you've had some meat carcass training is a fat over the ribeye which is taken it is the fat depth over the 12th and 13th rib and that's also where the ribeye is exposed in the cooler if the carcasses are split at the last rib and graded manually in the cooler that's where the ribeye is measured and the fat depth is taken that gives you your preliminary yield grade and uh, then of course that is, uh, of course, one, two, three, four, and then five being, uh, very, you know, fat. And then, um, and then we do marbling, which is marbling and maturity. Marbling is the intramuscular specks of fat that you see in your steak when you thaw it out. And, um, and then that, uh, most of that boils down to juiciness and things like that. And, uh, uh, truly doesn't really have that much to do with tenderness. Uh, that is more of a genetic muscle type thing. Uh, it has a lot to do with just juice and flavor, um, in my opinion. But because uh, tenderness is uh, can be affected in a lot of different ways, um, aged beef is usually carcasses that are hung uh, past twenty one days um, after harvest. And then, uh, but marbling is something that is very important and is, uh, especially to the Angus Association. Um, and that's, you know, the, the basis for a lot of the EPDs for Black Hereford Association came from AAA. So, right.
1: So would you say that ultrasounding is a suitable replacement for the actual Kirkus data, or where do you see it in that picture?
2: For seed stock producers, um one of the things you got to keep in mind, ultra uh, seed stock by the very nature, we try not to harvest them at 20 years. Age. We try to get as uh, many years out of those uh, superior animals, uh, male and female, that we can. So uh, a non-alive animal ultrasound is the best way to collect that data. And if you can look at the trends... It has worked. Now, it is, you know, I've lost a couple of customers. Um, they got frustrated because the data that they got back from me did not exactly fit or um, measure the exact same as somebody going in and hand grading. But what a lot of people don't seem to understand is the grading done on in a true packing facility, say JBS or SWIFT or You know, any of those places, those guys are not putting that ribeye measuring card on the ribeye and counting every dot. You couldn't do that when you're at a plant of 3,500 per shift being harvested. They are just looking and rolling. Those federal graders are looking at the carcass up and down. They turn it, look at the KPH fat, and they just roll it a two, and they either give a choice, prime or select. They do not... Um they will if it has to go to the regrade line, um, if it, it's requested, then no hand measure, but only when requested. Um, if somebody thinks they're off or the or the federal graders having a bad day, or a steel broke, it's funny to see a guy that's under five foot five, he can't see the carcasses or the ribeyes on the rail. Right. So many people say that, well, ultrasound doesn't give you the same results. Um it, I think it's more accurate on back fat, especially if the technician is certified and knows what he's doing. Uh, the skinning process can alter the back fat measurement on a carcass and a cooler very easily. Uh, how the cattle are handled prior to harvest can affect marbling. But on the seed stock side, um, ultrasound has proven since 1998 that it is the best. You know, it's not exact like some people would want it to be, but it has been a great selection tool for those who watch it and consistently do it um, and have it done for their cattle year after year
1: so walk me through the process I call you i've got a batch of what yearlings typically correct um the window is
2: different um the there's a minimum <laughs> On uh, registered cattle, uh, the Angus Association is, uh, I may be off on the youngest age, but I think it's 325 to 440. Uh, your British breeds have the shorter windows um, most of the time for some reason than the continental breeds like Simmental's. Uh, and I could be corrected. There are a couple of breed associations out there that will accept data to go into the EPDs up to 500 days of age. Wow. Uh, kind of depends on your individual breed association. Um, the Angus Association is uh, 440 is the oldest, and then after they exceed 440 days of age, you just get robbed out of back. But uh, you have to be within the accepted breed association's uh, age window in order to become a part of their permanent record on the EPD side.
1: Okay.
2: And then- you know, uh call me, I come out, we schedule the date, Hopefully, it's not thirty below. Cold is my biggest enemy. um, the last uh near heat stroke I had was in two, th- now that's not true. Lamar and Hayes were the hottest places I've gone. I've unfortunately had to scan a set of cattle in Utah and thirty one below that was a struggle, <laughs> you know, and uh so weather has a big effect, you know you gotta be. It, the the extremes can, can skew the data, that's for sure. And so you got to be careful. Uh, they can't be wet. Um, I do have to clip. If it's a seed stock application, the acceptable image cannot have more than half an inch of hair. Um, the technician can lose their certification if they start trying to cut corners and not clip. Um, some people get a little bit vain about their sale cattle needing to look like show cattle and what they don't seem to understand that they don't read the small print is in order to, for it to be an acceptable image, you have to, you know, uh, be within these parameters, uh, feedlot cattle are usually pretty slick. You know, you, that's not an issue, but, uh, but then other people are very proud that the clipper tracks are hideous. And, uh, if you're hurrying and trying to hustle, you know, most guys, uh, the big, Uh, The big ultrasound guys, high volume guys, they're doing 200, 250 a day. So you're talking two minutes, an animal starting at eight in the morning, ending probably at six at night. You know, they're rocking 25 head an hour and the clipper tracks can get kind of rough. It looks like a brand inspector had a bad day if you're not careful. (laughs) With the association, you got a you got a track that goes from the hook bone back to the pin bone. That's where they're collecting the rump fat uh, depth, um, and and then uh, right between the last two ribs, and then you do uh, an image that goes perpendicular to that to get the marbling images. Normally, you're taking six to seven images per head for the seed stock. Um, The feedlot application is one, one image right across the last three ribs.
1: Well, the good news about the clipping, if you are the one doing it, you're also such an excellent fitter that you make it look pretty.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, I try. It, it, when you, uh, many people, the higher volume ultrasound techs, of the guys that run down I-80 and I-90 you know, in, in Montana, when they get into those families that are selling six, seven hundred bowls per sale, they have a crew uh, that's usually hired by the ranch that, uh, many times they're, they've come to the technician in the chute, they're already clipped, oiled, and ready to go. I am uh, kind of in the middle of the pack where I just about do it all, unless my daughters can go with me um, and my son. And then the facilities in the West are way different than they are in the Midwest. You go out to Brock Hanson's. we're just short of heading and healing them. <laughs> and, uh, I tease him really bad, and uh, and then but you get into eastern Wyoming and eastern Colorado, and you know it becomes a silencer indoor situation, and it's much much easier to get the cattle prepped, and and usually the day, you know when you can do 180 at Jimmy Croissants and you're done by six in the evening, and then you go out to uh, eastern Utah or western Colorado. Sometimes it takes seven hours to do 65 head. Um, And so it just depends on your individual situation. And I'm game for it all. As long as I can physically hold up, we'll get it done. You know, so.
1: So then what happens after you take those scans?
2: Uh, They go to the hard drive on my computer. I transfer it to a thumb drive. And usually now, uh, back in the 90s, when this got started, it had to go on a floppy
1: drive and actually FedExed. You what? just lost everyone under the know, age I'm of I am sorry. 30. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, floppy disk.
2: And, and if anybody calls and talks to Mark Henry or Patrick Wall or even Rico King there in Arkansas, they, they will tell you uh, they would get uh, 12 to 30 FedEx packages a day with these floppy disks in it. And since that time, if I get it on a thumb drive, and if you have internet in your barn, I can upload it to the cup lab and they'll have the images back to you in three or four days. It used to take an average of seven to eight. And if you wanted it rushed it, And so technology, as we all know, the laptop you bought last year is a paperweight. You can dang near get as much done on your phone as you can, any computer that you buy today. So it's just amazing how fast, The turnaround time is, but it goes to the lab. The technicians in the lab are in a controlled environment inside. They interpret your images and how all technicians, your image is either acceptable, marginal, or rejected. And if your images are rejected, um, you do not get data back on that particular trait or that entire individual So most of us who maintain our certification are running 91% or better on our images. Um, And that's even the new guys. And uh, that's how we're graded and how we pass our certification test. And then when even marginal images will go on into the breed association and be interpreted and calculate the EPDs. But most of the time you try to shoot for uh, acceptable images keep your machine in good shape and protect yourself and your equipment and prep the cattle correctly. And and that is what has maintained the integrity of ultrasound data collection since
1: 1998. So then do the producers have to report that data to the association? Does that automatically go over?
2: Um, it is treated much like your health history. <laughs> it's surprising how uh, they really um, do, in my mind, an excellent job of, of protecting that information. So, I, unless my customer shares with me what happens, which many of them have, I can't go and, and tell the couple, lab, "Hey, what this one read or what that that those that information belongs to the producer." And so from the cup lab, when you fill out your barn sheet, you have also filled out and signed a an agreement that you have given the cup lab or the two other interpretation labs in the country permission to send that data to the breed association. And that is between you and the breed association. Um, It depends on the association whether you get raw data back and EPDs. Or if you just get back EPDs, it's kind of between um, the association and the producer.
1: This episode is sponsored by the American Black Hereford Association. The annual membership meeting and dinner in Kansas City is set for Saturday, October 8th, following the Royal Affair sale the same day. The sale committee is currently accepting nominations, and you can find the rules at blackherford.org. The National Black Hereford Open Show at the American Royal will be Sunday, October 9th. The ABHA is also currently accepting board member nominations. If you think you'd be interested in serving, you can check out the bylaws on the ABHA website for qualifications or reach out to Executive Director Ernie or ABHA Secretary Jacob Marino. Their contact info is also on the website blackherford.org. We're also sponsored by HI slash cattle company. We're currently offering semen on homozygous black Joe gangster. 0535. He's really a quality bull with great carcass scores and awesome growth. He's got three Supreme dams in his pedigree and can bring the consistency and the growth your customers are looking for. Check out HI slash cattle company on Facebook or the website. H I S L A S H If you're interested in getting your ad, On the Black Hereford Chronicles, give me a holler. I can be reached on the Black Hereford Chronicles Facebook page or by emailing me at hislashcattle at gmail.com. Let's dig back in. So, can you talk on that for a little bit how the ultrasound results are used in the EPDs? Um, Well,
2: it's years and years of data collection, and we're just getting the The more consistent producers are, uh, those images and that data is put into that. You know, uh, the bank association just leads the pack. We all know that Um, they are uh, they are probably the uh, front runner in data collection.
1: Well, and they have an EPD for absolutely everything, so they're really good. Sometimes, sometimes, you know,
2: I I I don't know. Uh, it, It can get a little excessive because should be just a tool because I'm also a live evaluator and I listened to your podcast with Dr. Callahan and he coached against me. (laughs) That's it. And his team, they were rock stars. But the giving up on the physical appearance and the structural correctness and the things that we all know to admire with our eye should never That should be first and foremost, in my opinion. And then the EPDs, I don't care if it's weaning weight, birth weight, those things should just be tools. And the same thing with carcass. It's just uh, one of the things with carcass data on seed stock is if you need to improve or if you're being paid or if you want to earn those premiums, that's where you better spend some time and, and educate yourself. Is this a carcass improver? And is this what I need today? Or do I need to work on birth weight or weaning weight? You know, where do I, where is, where am I in my particular circumstance? And that's where I think EPDs come in and help. They've proven themselves, especially on the birth weight thing. And if people aren't, um, if they don't misrepresent and and are truthful about their data uh, submissions, we all know that they can help. And 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 all of it just needs to be a tool, but physical um, phenotypic evaluation should never come before an EPD, in my opinion.
1: Well, and it's just another selection tool, especially with the ultrasound at the end of the day, you know, it's about knowing your customer and then focusing on those areas that, you know, you want to hit for us. A lot of our bull customers our commercial guys, all of them are commercial guys and beef production is really important to both our commercial herd and their commercial herd. We put in a commitment and a focus on getting that data in and making the appropriate choices and we've seen it benefit our own program and we've won yield grade competitions. Our commercial herd is doing great off of our Black Hereford bulls that we are getting that data on. And we've been able to make those choices based on that data it matters
2: you bet i, I totally agree and, and it is it has proven itself um and i've had you know I, I know it has and you just gotta look at the trends and drovers magazine and, and any of the research data texas tech texas a m kansas state they will tell you know they've got plenty of data that the, the amount or the the incidence of cattle reaching choice is so much more prevalent now in the 21st century than it was in the seventies and eighties, uh, select, or they used to call it good, you know, and just to make it easier on the ear when I was in college is when they went from calling it good by the USDA to select. And, uh, there have uh, been some, uh, you know, Laura's lean was a select type of program
1: well, select sounds a lot better than just saying it's okay. It's
2: good, yeah, exactly. I and mean, there's been a lot of thought, and and you know when you when you've got uh, you know somebody like the Angus Association convincing the general public that they're eating Angus beef at Taco Bell, uh, that guy was at Nike. You know, I mean, they have done a lot for the red meat industry and all of red meat producers, pork. Uh, Chicken, I don't care what it is, they've all benefited from those type of media, commercial, uh, you know, people just getting on that bandwagon. And then the the doctors with the carbohydrate or high-carb diets or, you know, getting off the high-carb diets and uh, things like that is just done a lot. But for those of us who have a taste for a good steak, um, it is – and some of this – Farm to table type little meat businesses that have sprung up, it means a lot. Um, and accurate carcass data helps those people that uh, I can think of several families that, that do little side business with, with uh, custom-fed beef, and uh, they do well. And, uh, and, and the people are willing to pay the premium um, knowing that they're going to get a superior product compared to the grocery store.
1: Well, and the data matters to the association, too. There's been a lot of talk within ABHA about our EPDs and where they're doing well and the places where they are missing and how to improve that. And no matter what the board decides to do with EPDs, none of it will matter if we don't have the data to back them up. and that's an important message for breeders to hear you have to get that data and sometimes that means ultrasound and getting that ultrasound data even if you're not sold yet that it will benefit your operation which it will but even if you're not there yet if you're not sold it will benefit the association it will benefit those EPDs and you need those EPDs
2: Uh, and one of the things that I reached out to Mark Henry and a couple other people but A lot of people don't seem to understand is that all of us, especially uh, this year, you know, with the fuel and things just going off the charts, silly. Uh, Many of them try to uh, cut costs and they think that genomics or just pulling hair is uh, suffice enough information about carcass. What some of those people may or may not understand. and, And we live in America. You do what you want. But do please understand that ultrasound data is the basis for 99% of all the data in the AAA or Angus Association database. And if it weren't for the ultrasound data, there would be no genomic score with your 50K information that comes back. That is based mostly, especially on the seed stock side, that is all ultrasound data. And, uh, you know, the large, uh, uh, you know, you think of the bull producing uh, sales, you know, where one family is cranking out six, seven hundred bulls, you know, and they've been doing it for years and years. They are scanning their cattle regardless. They know And all of the genomic data, you know, and I try to look at it as a human perspective, if you want to make a comparison. My father played Division I football at Texas A&M in the 60s. Did I have the genetic potential to play Division I football? Probably But I was flat-footed, fat, and blind, and slow. I didn't make it, you know. But did I have the DNA? Probably a little bit in there. But uh, And then I had a first cousin play for Baylor in the 80s. Um, He was fast, and it just, I was mean enough, but I wasn't quick enough, you know. (laughs) And
1: so then the same thing. You do not have a mean bone in your body.
2: But, you know, the DNA, it is what it is, and just that particular combination for that animal and i've asked producers a lot of my producers do both and they will tell me when they get in the shoot according to the 50k this animal should do this and when they get their data back they will compare they'll have the ultrasound data on their left hand the 50k on their right and they will do their homework i've got several i can just start naming the guys that do that and it's funny and i have talked to them look for on the screen and the landmarks and stuff. And I've got an old Aloka. I can't wait to upgrade uh, because the next generation of machines are just incredible. And here pretty quick, if the OB clinics uh, in America are in color with real human babies, um, I'm not too sure that we're not too far away from a portable machine on ultrasound and pregnancy ultrasound for beef cattle industry that they won't be in color <laughs> you know it's it's amazing it's truly amazing
1: well the reality is we can all sit around as black Hereford breeders and complain and gnash our teeth about epds and how we don't feel like they're accurate enough but if we aren't willing to do the heavy lifting of turning in the data they never right. will be so it's kind of time well, to like put up or shut up
2: well, that and you're a relative. You know how old is the association?
1: Right. Well, we've yeah. got. I, I get what you're saying. We don't have that historical back either. We've got, yeah, you know, and from so the ground those, up. Yeah,
2: those that are serious, because yeah. in my mind, I, I get to, I get to scan Angus. I get to scan Herefords. I've scanned plenty of Wagyu. That's an extreme deal. Uh, Charlay's. Uh, I've done black blacks. I've done some Mary Greys, and I tell you what, the Black Hereford people need to understand they have something. They've got a the best mamas in the Rocky Mountain West as far as winter durability, and they've got just enough of that shot of Angus and those Hereford producers that have helped contribute to the Black Hereford uh, genetic pool, when you pick from the best of both sides, that is a heck of a combination. And that is a nice, uh, I don't know if you want to call it a composite. I was always taught that a composite was a mule and a brangus. <laughs> so, uh When you get to where, um, you know, you, you get like the J.O. bulls, you know, he's running around with some bulls that are, uh, ninety-one percent Hereford, and they're black and white. That is impressive. You know, uh, to me, that's incredible. And then, uh, but he, you know, when he went to go find his Hereford seed stock, they were some of the best carcass movers out there, as far as being a superior Hereford uh, line of genetics. And uh, Mary String right here in Meeker, her cattle for three years in a row, her her purebred Herfords have had the highest marbling score for contemporary group. She has been in the top 3% in the Hereford grade in the nation for the last four years. And that's 37 head of bulls. <laughs> you know, right. she's really uh, be, When she lost Bart, it just didn't, it's not the 100 head bull sale that it used to be. But, you know, Mary um, does a great, great job for a lady uh, in her 80s, you know, and been in the for business 67 years so you know but that's impressive and when people have done their homework especially on the black herford side they have an excellent product on a live product a good mother excellent bulls, and that end product which is always red meat is people need to pay attention it's there and you need to take advantage of it
1: so, if someone listening to this decides that it's time to jump in, how can they find an ultrasound technician?
2: You go, first of all, you go to the UGC website, which is Ultrasound Guidelines Council. In my opinion, you should use a person who has had the same level and quality of training and has passed the UGC certification model there are many good hands out there that know how to run an ultrasound machine. They can find everything. But in my opinion, you need to have a UGC certified technician that is and his images are accepted by the breed association. And you go to that website, you find the guy in your state that obviously in 2022, you got to save money on fuel and mileage. Um, we always used to kind of base ourselves around uh, these production sales uh, I, I was told in 2006 it was about 1,800 a head that you had into a bull. I can only imagine now. I I would bet a good round figure to get a bull raised for production sales about 23, 2400 if you did everything right. And I'm talking feet, horns, pap, ultrasound, breeding soundness exam. You're always looking at one of those services running about 30 bucks a head. You know, after lab fees, travel, getting the guy there. Um, and I don't know how many, you know, I can think of six or seven different tests or services that you would want done before you put the bull, the trick test, you know, all those things. And then the feed, you know, it's it's not cheap. It's not a very cheap endeavor. Bulls are destructive. God bless those people that keep them till they're two years old. Uh, I just, the damage a bull can do is amazing. When they get bored, you know they are an animal. Um, you have to respect that. But you go to that UGC website, you find the guy nearest you that is a uh, you know has and has the proper equipment. One of the reasons I need to upgrade is uh you know the 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 equipment is just outstanding. And uh, we are finding the outliers. Uh, Mark Henry at the Cup Lab was talking about a set of heifers that he was scanning when I had him on the phone. He said, plant, this particular Angus heifer is my ninth heifer to score 14. And we're talking about a heifer that's 13 months old, and her marbling genetically without enhancements was already a 14. That is middle prime. <laughs> okay. Um, and four. On an intramuscular marbling score, one if you can get into the fours, you're at low choice. So my word, you know, that was that was an impressive set of heifers. And I'll often comment shoot side when a bull comes through. I'll say, well, that one's got heifer marbling. And they'll kind of look at me and cock their head and say, well, his sister and him are contemporaries. You know, he's got just as high marbling as a bull. Because one of the things that I've learned, testosterone eats marbling. So Thanks. you got. viable, viable, ready to work. And he's got that kind of marbling. Boy, you put something together in my opinion, you know?
1: Well, I like to end all of the podcasts by asking everybody the same question. So Clint, what is one thing you would change about Black (laughs) Herefords?
2: I, as you know me, Jen, I have a, uh, I'm, I, I think I'm a professional smart aleck, but uh, I just wish simply they would have called the Black Baldies. I know they had to go the route they did, but I wish something along the lines of the original Black Baldy or something like that. But I do know, uh, you know, I run around with the moniker of too many irons. And, uh, I am in the securities business. I sell mutual funds and variable products and I had a guy in Denver say, well, that's just not professional enough. Um, <laughs> and so, but, uh, I like the fact that when you see one, I, if that was and and please don't take me too seriously, but it just, everybody knows that's what they are. Um, and, and to be a little less formal and, 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 but I also understand the other side of that. I want people to take this breed association seriously because these are some excellent cattle. And it's fun to be on any end of this kind of a new thing because I think it'll stick. Because in the Rocky Mountain West, we all knew that a black baldy mother was one of the best moms in this country. and In this region, excuse me. Um, you know, They just did it. They got it done. And, uh, and then to have the, the EPDs and the growth and the muscle and the um, structural correctness, I mean, um, you know when somebody's an old line Angus breeder from the 80s, and you get that shot of a good stout, big-footed Hereford in there, and you change that structure and widen up their base, and they're bigger-footed, and they've got a deep heel – and that combination of both of those type of genetics to make a really good black Hereford is impressive. And uh, But I just like the Black Baldy name. That's the type of person I am. Um, I'll never be a white collar securities guy. I call myself a gray-collar person, and so as far as the cattle business would be concerned, I'd be in that gray-collar area.
1: (laughs) So, Well, I'm right there with you. I've been pushing the more than a Baldy tagline pretty hard the last few weeks.
2: Yeah, I just think it's a cool name, and it sticks, and everybody knows what you're talking about. Yeah, Um,
1: that was my theory. Everybody already associates us with Baldy anyway, so we might as well own it. You know, and, and that's
2: fine. You know, I mean, I, I understand America, Black, Herford, and I know a certain level of professionalism is necessary. But at the same time, I wish we could all just kind of um, sit back and not take ourselves so seriously and let the performance and the measurements and the flavor, uh, you know, let that speak for itself and and get the information out there.
1: Well, and what we're doing is so good that Hereford is essentially advertising for us right now. Anyway, I don't know oh, if you've yeah. seen any of their ads in the last year or so. It's all black baldies.
2: Oh, yeah. Um, you know, it uh, you, you get the you know, whatever it is. And uh, and just as a technician goes. Black hair, black-hided cattle are much easier to scan than the red and white cattle. <laughs> you can pop that image so much quicker and use so much less oil. It's not even funny, but uh, the the new machines and the new technology have uh, even that. Uh, uh, but boy, at first, back in two thousand five. It, you when you were at the UGC test and you saw a white charlotte type cross, you just groaned. And then if you if it was red Agus or herford those images were so dark back in the day. And it's just weird. Uh uh the black cattle, it, it didn't matter, you know, simmental whatever, uh any of the black-hided cattle, that image came to you so much faster back in the day. Uh that's not near as big of an issue as it used to be, but uh it, it sure makes the day go faster.
1: <laughs> well, it's the opposite for branding. I always complain. Oh, yeah. the red ones are easier for me to brand.
2: Oh heck, yeah! Oh, there's a no question. Isn't that fun? Yeah, uh, ultrasound is a neat, neat deal. And uh, you know, we owe it to the hog industry uh, and to get that, and then the repro guys too. But uh, uh, the the pe- uh, specified pathogen free. In the 80s, when you were a member of that or signed up for that in the 80s in Nebraska and Kansas, there's some of those hog ultrasound, and they called it sonoray back in the day. And I think that was a brand or a manufacturer of the machine. But when those guys go into a hog farm, it wasn't anything to scan and probe. They called it probing, uh, 400 to because 700 pigs in a day, you know, that would be the the kill schedule for that hog farm. And that was part of the specified pass of the gen free thing. And then the beef industry, um, one of the ranchers in Montana, uh, he started in his cattle uh, in the 1980s before there was even UGC. He had Angus on one side of the highway and, and uh, Charlay's on the other. And uh, one time there was a Laura's Lean story out there in eastern Colorado, and these Smoky cattle came to me, and they said these all got to be select, or they don't, or they get kicked out of the program, and we get fined. I said, well, who are the daddies? And they mentioned that breeder. I wish I could think of his name. It was a Dutch surname. And I said, my word, boys, you need to understand something. He's been scanning his Charley cattle to perform just as good on carcass as his Angus. And so those smoky cattle were bagged near 90% of them were low choice. The thing that saved them was a snowstorm on I-80 going to Omaha, and it shrunk the marbling out of them. <laughs> they barely made it. But I was calling balls and strikes, and boy, I was nervous. That was, that was a tough job, and uh, they, they got lucky. <laughs> but uh, don't think that, you know, just because it's a certain breed, limousine, you know, your continental-type cattle, if those uh, producers have been watching the carcass thing, it'll surprise you. You know, you need to be the old thing, the old, uh, you know, the old old way of thinking, you better know what you're talking about. or better know where your cattle are coming from, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, and then you've got the ability to use that in your marketing as well.
2: Sure. You bet. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and in this day and age, it's become a penalty. You know, it, it started out, you know, or if you want to be CF, CAB, you'll get your base price and then you'll get your premium. Now they kind of tell you, well, we're going to discount you now because you didn't reach this. Right. Yeah, I'll be a little bit careful. I I uh, think some of that uh, can be a little bit misleading and disappoints the producer uh, if it's if it's looked at as a discount and not, you know, hey, everybody's on a level playing field, but if you achieve this you're going to get some extra dollars. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like the, uh, verification programs, same thing, you know, yeah. uh, you, you would hope, uh, you know, and I think there's a lot of that discussion going on now with the price manipulation or, or monopoly type of mentality with some of the larger buyers that are associated with the packing houses, um, you know, it needs to be a free market where everybody's on a level playing field. And then here's the bonuses. You know, kind of like, well, you know, you saw Maddie's contract with Merck. She just signed on with Merck, and you reach this goal, you're here. You do this sales achievement, you're here. You know, and and I think our cow calf and producers should be treated the same way.
1: I worry though because I think the. Mentality of I'm not in the beef business. I'm not in the beef business is a reaction of cow calf uh, producers to oh, the market oh, manipulation, yeah. and I understand that. But no matter what we wind up doing moving forward to try to fix our markets, we're still going to have to have quality beef. Yes. So don't that, throw yeah. that away. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater.
2: Yeah. What? You know, I haven't. I guess I have. Well, and I'm pretty. I guess um I'm in a pretty tight corral because the people that use me and call me over and over, that's never a discussion. And I long learned the life insurance business really taught me to quit arguing with people, trying to prove that I was right. Um, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? And so I think
1: that your wife has trained you well,
2: you know, you know, I mean, you can get into a a, a very productive discussion. And if you earn a customer without arguing or insulting their intelligence, uh, I think you've done a lot more for yourself as a person and as a group, uh, you know, representing the ultrasound business. And, but yes, man, if you have a cow on your place, I don't care if it's five or 5,000, you are in the beef industry. I mean, but I kind of understand where they're going. And and I see what they're thinking. But man, I would hope they would be careful. And with all this, people just having the food industry under the microscope and the whole foods lawsuit, and there's antibiotics in the meat in whole foods. I really wonder how much, you know, you got to watch that. It just, and be careful, you know, uh, it's sad that we're under the microscope, that there's, that we're being attacked, especially in America when we pretty near feed the world, whether it's grain or protein, you know, it's a, it's unfortunate to come under that kind of scrutiny and have a lot of that information not be accurate. But yeah, I would, I would hope those producers would uh, rethink that comment just a little. um, Eventually their product ends up somewhere in the food chain, you know, unless it's just, you know, an unfortunate case of just total destruction, but that's
1: rare, you know? Yeah. Well, and you know, if we lose consumer trust, that's going to filter all the way back down, too. So it matters. Oh, man.
2: And, it, it, and more today than ever. You know, in the 1950s and right after World War II, the cowboy was a national hero. And then now we're almost, what did somebody say? I'm not even sure if I say the name right. Up, Ira or, <laughs> you know, in some circles, it just, yeah. yes, it's tough, but the discussions you can get into, um, you know, be careful. Uh, it's, it's hard not to argue or get offended when you are raised in this business and you go to Denver. You know, I think we need to be careful. We need to um, watch our words and, and really take on the role of an educator um, because there is a disconnect. There truly is a disconnect with some very intelligent people in America about where their food comes from. And and the National Western Stock Show and the American Royal has taught us that more than anything, um, just as a family that goes and likes to show. Uh, some of the discussions you get into are uh, things you would never even think would come up, and they do. You know, it's, it's funny.
1: Well, Clint, thank you so much. I really appreciate your willingness to take the time and come on and talk about this, and I really hope it sparks some curiosity from some of our breeders that haven't considered ultrasounding before. And then we can get some more data in.
2: You bet. And just look, that UGC website's good, or the National Cup Lab. They have a list. The Angus Association prints a list of of technicians twice a year. Um, I just got that email to remind, you know, update my information. And they'll tell you where you are, phone number, email, and what kind of machine you use. Uh, some people are picked based on their equipment uh, to come and do their cattle. I do know that is a thing um, now. And
1: uh, well, and if we could find you, it when we were, you know, out in literally the middle of nowhere, yes, <laughs> in rough country, and we could yeah. find someone. Everybody yeah. can find someone.
2: Yeah, yeah. And, 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 you know, I know there are a few of the old-timers who don't want to get online or anything like that, but some, somebody in their family knows how to get online, and uh, you can do that. And, um you no, know, it's, it's not hard to find a tech. It, it really isn't. I, I can't think of the state. Uh, New York, I met the technician that uh, scans the Rockefeller cattle. And they do have cattle. They have the of cattle in New York State.
1: Are they made of gold?
2: <laughs> yeah. <Huh? laughs> I I was lucky enough to scan Ralph Lauren's cattle in Ridgeway. That was really fun. And okay. he's uh, one guy that uh, he's an interesting person. Whatever he produces on that ranch in Ridgeway, when they go to a yard, um, they are served in his restaurants in Chicago and New York. Uh, the meat that he serves, he produced. Is what I am. Saying. That's what I was told by the manager last time I got to go there. So that's that. I like that when somebody like that, John Malone, same thing. Silver, Silver Spur. That's three breeds, and he scans, and he his managers have their cattle ultrasounded too. So,
1: well, thank you, Clay. I really appreciate
2: you bet. it. You bet. It's good to see you, and take care. And I edit at will.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. You can get in on the conversation over at our Facebook page at Black Chronicles, where we'd love to hear from you. Of course, don't forget to leave a review wherever you get your podcasts.